Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 6, and you can put your finger there and also turn to John chapter 17 as we continue on knowing and loving the Father part 2, looking at the Lord's Prayer. Now we had saw, and I'm going to kind of go quickly as a matter of view so we have time to get in what I have for you because I believe it's important, is that last week we looked at some common misconceptions that people have about prayer. And you can see these here on the monitor, I believe they're here, is one magic is a magic wand, like it's a mystical device uh, for the superstitious, people would believe, or God is like a personal genie. Some would believe prayer is like a first aid kit. Or a fire alarm, you, you just pull or use only in emergencies. Or prayer is a last resort to the point it has it come to that, must I do that? To many, it's a prayer is a tug of war. It's a game played with God to convince him to do something nice for me. And we give him our sales pitch and we try to negotiate with God and why we deserve this. Or we come to prayer is like a duty. I should pray more. And we talked about that type of feeling that many of us, I believe, have. We struggle with prayer. There are times that we feel like we're not praying enough. Or we feel guilty about our prayer life. And we're lost at what to say. And we talked about, like, Father, the prayer is a communication. It's about knowing and loving not only our earthly fathers from last week and Father's Day, but also it's about our Heavenly Father. And we saw that the key to knowing and loving our Heavenly Father is communication. Listening, understanding His character. Our Heavenly Father has given us many ways to do this. He's given us the Bible reading, studying Scripture, meditating on His Word, memorizing Scripture, fasting, and then prayer. God has ordained that prayer would be one of the most important spiritual disciplines that a Christian must exercise and excel in to grow in maturity and confidence. Without that discipline, we find ourselves untethered to God. It is through prayer that you and I find strength and comfort and confidence to continue in our faith, especially during trying difficult times. And many of us go through those each and every day. Pray, we pray to know God, to lay our requests before him, and to find direction for our daily lives. Prayer is a spiritual discipline that we must attend to. Normally, though, we rely on our own talents and abilities and self-resourcefulness to get us through life. God and prayer are usually our last resort. In that way, we get the glory and not God. But still, the question remains, if that is to be true, if I'm, I'm to change that, how do I pray with such confidence? How do we become more effective in our prayer life? Well, the disciples we saw last week had the same question. When Jesus told them how not to pray, using the Pharisees as examples, they then asked him, well, then you teach us how to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gave them these instructions. Once again, Jesus said in verse 9, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
And then verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Last week, we learned the first three ways that you and I are to pray the Lord's Prayer. We see that it's to acknowledge the Father's character, that He is the God. He's the Almighty God, that all things come from Him. That we're to advance the Father's kingdom, not our own. And then thirdly, to accept the Father's provision, and that He gives us all good things that we need. Let's pray. Father, we come to this as we come to the last three phrases that you again would open up our minds and hearts to receive your word with joy and with gladness and with the desire to understand. I pray that you bless the time I spent in putting it together. Father, give, give us the wisdom to know my mere opinion and to separate from what is truly true and may they converge in a way that's edifying and building up. I pray that you would just, uh, uh, just cease any distractions, Lord, that we may give your word full attention. And most importantly, Father, that we would respond to the Spirit's work. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. So as we continue through these, this passage of Scripture, we're still going to see a picture of the Father's forgiveness, the Father's guidance, and the Father's protection. If you're one who likes to take notes, I'm using the word utilize. How do you and I approach the Lord's uh, prayer? How do you and I utilize it in our prayer life? And so we're going to look at three ways we can do that as we consider the Father's forgiveness, His guidance, and His protection. Number one is we need to utilize the Father's pardon. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, if you're there in the Lord's Prayer. He says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Jesus now pointing to the Father's forgiveness to remind us that God desires to forgive sinners for the rebellion against him. But also, you and I are to extend that same forgiveness to those that have sinned against us. Scripture has declared, speaking of all humanity, that we are all guilty before God. Referring once again to the Gospel Primer by Pastor Milton Vincent. Again, if you want a renewed copy of that, you don't have yours, please ask me. We have them for free. I think this is just a great way to capture what Scripture says correctly. When he says, God has created you and I with the intention that you and I may glorify God by finding our soul's delight in him and by living in joyful obedience to him in all of my ways. That is how God has created us, the purpose. If you're looking for a purpose statement for your life, there it is, that we may look on him and he would be the supreme object of our admiration. However, as he continues to write, that you and I could not have failed this God more miserably than we have. Instead of giving thanks to him and humbly submitting to his rule over our lives, we have rebelled against him and have actually sought to exalt ourselves above him. And going our own way and living according to our own wisdom, we have broken countless times either the letter or the spirit of every one of God's Ten Commandments. You see, Scripture informs us that all of us are guilty that there are none that truly seek after God and that we are disobedient children destined for wrath. It describes us as dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. But it also goes on to tell us, as you look at Ephesians 2 in verse, in the modern here in verse 2, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in those trespasses sins, even when we were rebellious children, made us alive together with Christ. I don't know if you're in Ephesians 2, but you need to underline that. That, that is the greatest but in the Bible. 
but God being rich in mercy. By grace, he says, you have been saved and he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, if you still go back to the Lord's prayer in the prayer that he prayed in John chapter 17, verse four. In Jesus's prayer on that night, he was betrayed. He prayed to the father saying this in verse four, speaking of his disciples, he prays, I glorified you on earth, speaking of the father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Well, what is that work? What does that have to do with this Lord's prayer in Matthew? Well, what, was, what did he say in verse two? God said, Jesus said, the work that I was accomplished to do was to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. That includes the forgiveness of our sin and rebellion against a holy God. Whenever I choose to go my own way rather than God's, I have trespassed against him. Sin is an old Latin word that means to miss the mark, as in archery. You miss the bullseye, you miss the mark. And we have all missed the mark. But here's the good news, here's the gospel. By God's grace, he has forgiven those who will repent of their sin and turn and trust that God the Father has accepted the work of Christ on our behalf. In other words, we cannot attain to perfection. We cannot fully be obedient to God, but Christ has accepted Christ's obedience on our behalf. The Apostle Paul refers to this in Colossians chapter 1 when he writes this, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And it was through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether they was on earth or in heaven. And this is so key, making peace by the blood of his cross. A violent act by man onto the Son of God brought us peace. And you who were once alienated and hostile of mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled, brought into balance in his body of flesh by his death in order in order to present you and I holy and blameless and above reproach before him. When we come and say, Lord, forgive us our debts, we are looking back to what Christ has done for you and I. And I don't know about you, but guilt and shame still strikes me. As I look into the mirror early in the morning before I go to bed or just contemplate God's word, I need to pray, Lord, forgive me. I need to go back and recognize that I stand in the forgiveness of a loving father. But see, there's something else that we need to understand is that Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 12, goes even father. Not only do we remember what Christ has done for us by giving us peace with our father, but he goes on to tell us to forgive others ourselves. Also, as we've forgiven our debtors, the father's desire is for us to live an abundant life, life in all of its fullness, but you and I cannot do that if we continually to stray away from him. Just as Christ has reconciled us to the Father, you and I are given the ministry of reconciliation, of sharing the peace that God has given us to the peace with others. The authors of A Passionate Life write that there are boundaries to right behavior. And you and I are going to trespass those boundaries from time to time. And we're going to find ourselves in someone else's territory. Now stay with me and this will become a little bit clearer. In other words, there are going to be times that you and I do not stay in our lane. 
that we go outside the boundaries that God, and we trespass against others. God has given us territory that is ours, and his provision within that territory is full and complete. We are not to stray from that territory into someone's else, but we have a tendency to do so. Would you agree? So my words, when we do transpress, trespass, you and I need to ask God's forgiveness. We, when other people stray from their path onto ours, hurting us, abusing us, causing us pain, then you and I are called to forgive as God has forgiven us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You may say, what does it mean to, to go and trespass against someone else? What does it mean to, to trespass onto someone else's uh, territory? Or, or as I say, go out outside of our, our lane. We're going to see this in Ephesians chapter 4. As, as Paul gives us some different types of trespasses that you and I must confess, repent, forgive, and avoid. Starting in verse 32. He says, or I'm sorry, verse 20, uh, 25, excuse me. He says, therefore, having to put away falsehood, Ephesians 4, 25, having put away a falsehood, it's for there, so we're not to tell lies. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let sun go down your wrath and give no opportunity to the devil. Then he goes on in verse 18, 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work so they may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up. So you and I are called to season our speech with things that build up each other, not tear down. For as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, here we go, right to the point. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. These are ways that you and I begin to trespass upon others and be trespassed against. He goes on to say, instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He comes back and he brings us back to why we're to forgive. Just as God has reconciled us to him, you and I are to be reconciled to others. As ambassadors for Christ, you and I are called to actively seek to love others by forgiving those who hurt us, abuse us, malign us, etc. Now this is not easy by no stretch of the imagination. I know that the ask here coming from Scripture from God is very difficult to do. I understand that. Satan will work overtime to keep your heart hardened. And that is why Jesus warned the disciples in Matthew 6.14, continue on after the Lord's Prayer, that if you do, for if you forgive others, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in other words, the life of a Christian is marked by forgiveness. And I have to tell you, if, if we're not marked by forgiving, as tough as it is, I'm not saying it's easy, but a Christian's life will be marked by forgiving others. There will be times where we trespass unto others. There'll be times when they'll trespass on, and we need to be quick to repent, quick to confess, and quick to forgive. 
Why? So Satan will have no opportunity to get his tendrils into our heart and harden them. But he also gives us this wonderful promise. He says in 1 John 1, 9, you can uh, say this with me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have this promise that if we forgive, he forgives. So here's the question. <clears throat> How well do you utilize the Father's pardon and forgiveness? Is this part of your discipline in your life? Are you allowing shame and guilt to tear you apart, paralyzing you into inaction or holding grudges? Are you struggling with forgiving others? I would share with you that you and I need to utilize the Father's pardon, realizing that you and I have offended the most almighty, O holy God. But while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. The second point I want you to see is to utilize the Father's GPS. And I want you to just bear with me as I use that contemporary term there. His global guide, and I, instead of the global positioning system, I'm going to call it the guidance positioning system. As he goes on in Matthew 6, he says, And lead us not in temptation. <coughs> lead us not in temptation. Jesus now emphasizes the Father's guidance. And bear with me as I try to unwrap this. This prayer here is asking God to help us in our daily walk. This plea understands that all of our moments are ordained by God. Now we have spoken before on this subject about the doctrine of God's providence and God's sovereignty. Scripture reveals that God is sovereign over even the minute details of our lives. There are no accidents, coincidences, or random chances, but God ordained moments that work for God's glory and our good. This means both the good and the bad. Now, at first thought, this doctrine may not be very comforting, but alarming, especially if our lives have been marked by tragedy, violence, abuse, or suffering. Every generation asks the question, how could a loving God and fill in the blank. And some of you may have those things. You may have some of those things. How could a loving God allow this? Jesus teaches us that the answer to that question is not only knowledge to acknowledge God's sovereignty over all events in our lives, but also for you and I to accept those moments as God's plan for our lives. Paul teaches us to find comfort in this doctrine when he writes in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his promises. I love how one pastor says it, God does not waste a hurt. God uses all things in our lives. Not only does he use it, but you and I need to come. When we say lead us not in temptation, we're saying we're acknowledging that you led us into this temptation. It was a God-ordained moment. Jesus' teaching is that even temptation itself, testing is ordained by God. Now, the Greek word that is translated into English word temptation here means a putting to the proof, to, to prove something. It means testing and trial, temptation, calamity, and affliction. Now, of course, some may be saying here, wait a second, God doesn't tempt anyone. 
and you would be correct. James writes in chapter 1, verse 13 of his letter, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You are correct. But Jesus is also teaching here that God does ordain times of testing for believers. Even Jesus had to undergo God's testing. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we read that after his baptism, that Jesus, now listen to this, Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And why was the Holy Spirit, why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus up into the wilderness? To be tempted by the devil. What, teach, what Jesus is teaching us to specifically to pray for is that for God to keep us from external testing and temptation. And this is the testing and the temptation that comes from outside sources, not from with you, but from things outside. Turn to Genesis 39. That should be quickly, first book of your Bible. Keep your finger in John as well. But in Genesis 39, we're going to see an example that Moses records as an example of this type of external outside testing. Story that's very familiar, it's very famous, and very fantastic. By the way, that's an inside joke. Every time I introduce a passage, I used to say it's a very familiar one. Then I started adding it's a very famous one. So there are some people here who make fun of me, so I, I figure that i got to continue to add on to the, to the adjectives using the letter F. But after Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, we see that Joseph is brought down to Egypt and he's sold to Potiphar. And in that Potiphar sees how well Joseph does and he gives him a task and he proves himself over and over and over to the point that he trusts him so much that he makes him head slave over over his house. Now he's a slave, but he has a freedom here. He has, he has, he has power and authority. But look at verse 5. And from that time that he made, and I'm at Genesis 39, verse 5, from that time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Now, there's good happening to Joseph here, but you and I have to also remember that there is evil happening. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. But yet God is still good in that evil intention. Now go to verse 6. We read of the testing. So he, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master, your husband, has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not, great, or he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against me, against God? So here we see in in, in Joseph, there is no internal desire to be with Potiphar's wife. This is just a, a, a testing that's coming from the outside. Look at verse 10. 
And as she spoke to Joseph after that day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house was there in the house. Verse 12, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But as we know the story, but he left his garment in her hand and he fled and got out of the house. So clearly Joseph had no interest or nor desire to succumb to her offers. Joseph did what was right. However, one would safely assume that he would rather have not been put in that situation at all in the first place. He would be rather being back home with his parents as the favored child of Jacob. But yet he's put in this situation of no control of his own. But yet God in his wisdom ordained it to happen. From our study in Genesis several years ago, we know that Potiphar's wife lied about the encounter as we continue in that story. And it cost Joseph his freedom once again as he's thrown into jail. Of course, you and I bemoan the injustice of this. And let me tell you, it was injustice by human sense. But God used this human injustice as an event to get Joseph closer to Pharaoh. Even Joseph, looking back at his life, declared to his brothers years later, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, scripture is full of many other types of external testings brought by God to mold his children. The apostle Peter informs us of why God ordains these trying moments in our life when he writes that the tested genuineness of our faith that's more precious than gold when, when tried by fire is to result in praise and glory at the honor of the revelation of Jesus that's why he calls us with joy to endure suffering, for they mold us and they test us. Thousands of years later, we can find comfort to obey Paul's command when he says, flee youthful lust. And where's our, where's our comfort? Where's our encouragement? It's found in Scripture. When he says, flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, it's due to the faithfulness of God and to Joseph. Jesus is teaching us to pray that you and I may find strength, the strength of Joseph when temptation comes. So in our prayer, when it says, lead me into temptation, our prayer is this. We are asking God that he would not lead us into testing as he did Joseph. We are praying that he not lead us into testing as Jesus himself prayed. You might remember Jesus himself prayed for deliverance from outside testing and temptation in Matthew 26. When in the garden, he said, and going in farther, he said, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, as I will, but as you will. He was praying the Lord's prayer. Lead me not in temptation, but as your will, your kingdom come. So our prayer should be, Lord, in the morning, this is one of my prayers, Lord, just lead me in temptation. Keep me from the external temptations. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know and I know that there will be times that God is going to lead us into those things. Jesus knows that the Father will is for him to offer himself as a sacrifice, but yet he still prays for deliverance. Yet he's still willing to obey fully. So not only do we pray, lead us not into temptation or to testing, 
But also in that prayer, we're praying that God would help us to see his providential hand in any testing. In the book of Job, we see a man undergoing severe, great outside testings and temptations. But his testimony and faith in God's goodness and God's wisdom and God's righteousness did not waver. Let me remind you that it was Job who said after he lost his family, he lost his business, he lost all that he physically owned. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Why not? Because he understood God's providential hand in this testing. Satan then begs God to allow him. Let me to test him now physically in his flesh. For then he'll deny you. So God says, yes, you may do so. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery and he scraped himself while he sat in ashes. Then his wife said to him, again, here comes outside testing. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die, she says. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women who would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Why? Because his prayer was, lead me not in temptation. But if so, let me see your hand in this. Thirdly, that you and I would accept God's sovereignty in all things. I think this is where you and I really kind of reside is we struggle to understand that God brings these things in our lives for a purpose. They're so difficult. They're so life-altering. And we just want to say, where is God? And we fail to see him in those testings, in those trials. But we need to accept God's sovereignty in all things. The psalmist sings in Psalms 37, that the steps of a man are established by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Are you delighting in the trials and the temptations and the testings that God brings you today? That starts with a hard attitude of praying, lead us not in temptation. Father, if it is your will, then give me the strength to get through it. Let me see that it's your hand. And as difficult as this to say and as odd as it is to say, because it goes so countercultural is you and I are to embrace that and endure it with suffering for God's glory and our good. I have to admit this type of attitude and thinking is very difficult. That's why you and I need to pray for understanding. Our thoughts tend to be self-centered. Suffering, persecution, etc. will tend to lead us to focus on our pain and our suffering and our struggle. You and I are tempted to doubt the goodness and the wisdom of God. We doubt his character and his love for us. But let me make no mistake. God is there even in the most difficult of struggles and in our deepest sorrow. You and I must remember that as children of God, we are the apple of his eye. As we pray, we must utilize the Father's GPS. And I'm using this contemporary term to point out the necessity of God's word in our prayer. In John chapter 17, if you're still there, look at verse 17. As Jesus continues to pray, to the, pray for his disciples to the Father, he says, sanctify them, the believers, the disciples, by the truth, for your word is truth. 
You and I need to be cleansed by the word of God. Our minds need to be renewed. My brother had a message called stinking thinking. We all have this way of thinking that's still sometimes so embraced by sinful desires and thoughts. We need to understand that the scripture helps us to understand. That's what prayer is doing. Remember, prayer is not aligning God with our ends, but us aligning ourselves with God. The scripture is our GPS. It helps us to understand the character of God and his plans for us. In 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul wrote that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Looking at the monitor in Psalms 119, the psalmist sings this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. I would strongly urge you to pray the word of God. Our elders have been modeling that of how to do that in our prayer, each pastor's prayer each Sunday. We take scripture and we use it to guide our prayer. I believe God loves to hear his word back to him. Many times we will claim a promise that's found in scripture. We'll ask for strength that comes from scripture. We'll look for guidance in the scripture. And so for you and I to say, lead us not in temptation, we first need to understand from God's word, why is it this external temptation, trial, and testing is coming? We need to be realigned. So let me ask you, in your prayer, do you acknowledge God's sovereignty over all moments in your life? Are you joyfully enduring suffering today? Begin each morning by asking God to keep and guard you from trials and temptation, but also if they come, knowing that it's part of God's plan in your life and that there's a purpose and that he will not waste your pain or heart. That's why Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, the comfort that you receive is the comfort you're to give to others. And so many of you are doing it. I've seen it in your testimonies. I've seen it in the way that you work. And we have to understand that like Joseph, these things come. But we should begin, Lord, lead me not in temptation. Why? Because God's word tells us that he can help us through that. But he wants us also to pray that we may refrain from that as well. The third one is to utilize the Father's protective gear. He says, not only lead us not in temptation, but he says, deliver us from the evil one. And with that, we close Matthew 6, the prayer. For Jesus now is teaching his disciples to utilize the Father's protection in their prayer life. The Lord's prayer ends with a call for a protection from Satan. You and I must understand that Satan is out to destroy us in any way that he can. Jesus said that Satan comes to steal and to kill and that you and I need to be prepared. Peter warns us to be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus is aware that Satan is going to try and derail us from seeking God's kingdom. He himself was a recipient of that. It's easy for us to get our eyes away from our goal and focused on our goal or our needs and desires. Look at John chapter 17 again, verse 15. In his prayer before his betrayal, again, Jesus prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of this world. In other words, we are going to experience trials and temptation. But he says, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
Satan is known as a liar, deceiver, a devourer, an accuser. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us how to ask the Father to protect us now from internal testing. Not just external, but also internal. Turn to James chapter 1, verse 13. You must understand that Satan cannot take your life or salvation. But he does want to destroy your character and to draw you away from God. He wants to destroy your relationship with God, destroy your relationship with others, and even destroy yourself. And as an acute observer of human behavior, and as a master manipulator, Satan seeks to paralyze Christians into serving God by using their own desires against them. Look, but each person is tempted when he is allured and enticed by his own desires. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We see this type of internal testing in the life of David in 2 Samuel. In the spring of the year, it says in chapter 11, when the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, but David stayed home. You know the rest of the story. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house and he saw from the roof bathing. There's an external, now there's an external temptation. And the woman was bathing and she was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. Verse three, now you see it now becomes an internal issue. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? He hears the story. He knows that she's taken. But in verse 4, but David sent messengers and he took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. We see both the external and internal testing of David. But unlike Joseph who fled temptation, David moved willingly towards it. David fell for the same tactics that overcame Eve in the garden when Satan tempted Eve with the fruit from the forbidden tree in Genesis chapter 3. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. What did she do? She then took of the fruit and ate. And then she gave some to her husband who ate with her. You see, our involvement in sin almost always includes and involves others. You and I are to pray as we look at the Lord's prayer that God would deliver us from Satan's attack. God has promised in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 here on the monitor, that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may not be able to endure it. Now, part of that prayer is the command, lead us or deliver us from the evil one is that you and I are commanded to utilize the Father's protection of the armor of God. He's called us to be strong in the Lord and the strong of His might. He tells us that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the evil workers of darkness. In verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Therefore, because of that, knowing this, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And he gives us that armor that we have. But he says this in verse 18 of Ephesians 6. 
praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So when he says, deliver us from the evil one, it means utilizing the Father's protective gear. It means, Father, let me put on the helmet of salvation. Recognize, remind me that I'm a child of God, that I'm no longer enslaved to sin. It's putting on the breastplate of righteousness, recognizing that I, that I no longer have to work for God's um, pleasure but, or God's... Um, I'm losing the word, excuse me here, for God's satisfaction. But we are trusted by, or we're loved by God. But yet we're still to live in a way that's right with God. These are the things that we do as we're praying, deliver us from the evil one. We're to use, utilize the Father's protective gear. So let me ask you, do you pray that God would deliver you from temptation? Do you humbly ask God to change your desires that they be more godly? Are you trusting in God's protection or is it, are you are trusting in your own abilities to thwart Satan's plan? Your warning should always begin. Lord, lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Lord, help me to be alert. Help me to be sober. Help me to be aware. Let me find the ways in which there are internal things in my heart that are not right. Look at the desires that are not right. And then when those external testings come, we can be like Joseph. We can be like Jesus. Because you cannot be tempted with that which you do not desire. Let me tell you what. If you come to me and you say, look at Rob, look at this beautiful kale salad. I want you to have this. I will tell you, you will not be able to tempt me with that kale salad. There will be no external uh, uh, temptation for that. I don't care how good it is. I'm a diabetic and I know I should eat that, but you're not going to get me to do it. However, in my own heart, you do not have to offer me brownies with walnuts and chocolate frosting on them. In my heart, I am thinking of that right now. So it's not going to take much. So you understand, our prayer needs to be, Father, don't, don't lead me into the things that I struggle with. And Father, with the things that I struggle, help me change my heart. Help me not to desire it. Help me to mortify it, to kill it, to put it to death. That's our prayer. So this is not a simple phrase just to say, as some do, and then walk away. But it's praying with knowledge and understanding what God means behind there. The Lord's prayer is an answer how you and I should communicate to him in an effective, powerful way. We're to acknowledge the Father's character, advance the Father's kingdom, accept the Father's provision, utilize the Father's pardon, utilize the Father's GPS, and utilize His protective gear. Let me add this for edification and for our education. Prayer is not a magical formula, a series of religious incantations, or anything of the sort. But prayer is God's ordained method of communication and a source of strength and comfort for the believer. We do not need a special prayer language. We do not need to pray in the King James Version or use big biblical words. We just need to pray. And let me end with these three things. I don't know if they're on the monitor or not, Jake. They might be. There's three things. One, you and I need to pray with simplicity. With simplicity. Jesus says, or God calls, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Call with him with simplicity. Before he teaches them how to pray, he says, do not pray like these Pharisees. 
with vain repetitions and words that are babbling, but just pray with simplicity. God hears the prayer of a child who just says, I pray that you bless daddy. I pray that you bless mommy. Let's come to him as children, laying our hearts out and say, Father, Abba, Papa, I struggle with this. Make me stronger. Lord, if it's your will, do not lead it to my life. Pray with perseverance. Perseverance. It's like the persistent widow. It's found in Luke chapter 18, the first eight verses, if you want to read it. About the judge who says, this woman keeps coming to me and asking for justice. So he finally gives it to her. And in it, if God says, if this earthly man would give, an unrighteous judge would give this woman uh, justice because she was persistent, how much so will the father? Be persistent. Sometimes we pray once and then that's it. And then let me say, pray with faith. Remember, faith is a confident trust in the faithfulness of God. I'd like to end with this one quote from Samuel Chadwick. He writes this, The concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But we trembles when we pray. The best time for prayer isn't found. It's made. Do you see that? It's not found. It's made. It's carving it out. The average Christian spends very little time in prayer, he writes. Then he wonders why he or she has no faith and no experience, no power. Let's go on. If we are too busy to pray, you and I are too busy to experience the power of God in ministry. We can be very busy, but not necessarily productive because we lack faith. One of the main reasons we lack faith is because we do not pray. They come together. Uh, John Newton said that. We are to pray for grace and faith. Pray for a greater, greater measure of grace, a greater measure of faith. He ends with consistent prayer builds consistent faith. You and I are to pray so that you and I can rely on God to supply all our needs through prayer. I'm going to ask you this morning, would you commit to making prayer a priority in your life? Are you ready to utilize the Father's forgiveness, His guidance, the God of Word of God, and His protection? Maybe it's time for you just to accept him as Savior. If you're here today and you have never accepted Christ, then we would call you today to repent and turn and trust him and find the life abundant that he taught of. Landon will be up here in the front a little bit and he'd love to share for you from the word of God how you too can know Christ. He'll be here to pray. If you're struggling in one of these areas of prayer, then I would encourage you to ask others to join with you, to guide you, to sit with you. That's why I love small groups as we're trying to, to incorporate more of our prayer life through that as we're praying for one another these types of things. Let us love God. Let us go to him as humble children, recognizing that he wants to spend time with us, hearing our cries, but also listening to him. With every head bowed and every closed as the worship team comes up, I'd like for you to just take a moment to pause, to consider and then to pray and to respond what God is calling you. In what area are you weak in? And what area do you need more strength, more faith in? Maybe it's in God's guidance. Maybe it's in his protection. 
Maybe it's in his pardon. Would you pray, Lord, Father, help me to respond. Help me to become a better, effective prayer. Father, you're so good to us, more so than we deserve. But we thank you for that peace that you've given us. And one of the wonderful gifts that you have given us as a peace offering is that of prayer. That we can boldly come before your throne of mercy, crying out our needs. Father, let us see that prayer is more than just words that we say after a meal or words that we say as we get up or before we go to bed. Words that many times are just repetitious without thinking. Lord, that prayer is a discipline that you call us to so that we may know you, that we may love you, and that we may serve you for your glory and our good. Strengthen us in our prayer. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.